Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It is January 4th, 2021, and this is the afternoon edition of the award-winning Truth Hurts program. What award, you ask? Well, I got tired of not winning any awards, so I gave one to myself. The Truthiest Truth Hurts Program of the Year Award, given to me by me, your loyal, faithful, venerable host, Steve Z. All right, enough self-gratification. Let's talk for just a moment about stupidity in representation in what is considered by me to be a very strange and bizarre display of political correctness gone wrong. Democrat representative from Missouri, Emmanuel Cleaver, ended the opening prayer to the 117th Congress swearing in on Sunday with the words, Amen and a woman. Yes, this fine specimen of AA 13% minority hyphenated American Democrat stupidity had the audacity to close his prayer thinking he was going to be cute and politically correct. But he lacked the basic intelligence, the basic knowledge of Latin, and of English for that matter, and he used a man, a woman, as the ending of his speech to Congress. Amen, A-M-E-N, is Latin for so be it. So be it. It's not a gendered word at all. But unfortunately, facts are irrelevant to progressives, socialists, liberals, leftists, Democrats. This is unbelievable. In fact, Guy Reschenthaler is a member of Congress, and he tweeted out, the prayer to open the 117th Congress ended with, quote, Amen and A Women, unquote. Amen is Latin for so be it. It is not a gendered word. Unfortunately, facts are irrelevant to progressives. Unbelievable. Former GOP Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich called out the choice of words on Twitter saying, The radical madness has begun. Gingrich tweeted, Amen and a woman? Perfect House Democrat prayer ending as House Dems focus on gender security by abolishing virtually every normal gender term like father, mother. The radical madness has begun. Kevin McCarthy for Speaker. Yes, boys and girls, when you have an ignorant son of a bitch who decides to use a politically correct incorrectly and misidentify a word not even knowing its etymology, its origin, then you have Missouri's representative Emmanuel Cleaver saying something stupid like Amen and A Women. Whew, the truth hurts. God, does it hurt. <laughs> We'll be right back. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. 
Many people are lining up to get the new Wuhan China novel coronavirus of 2019 vaccine. Many white people, many black people, many Asians, many Hispanics. Fact, many men, many women. But in the liberal leftist pandering media's never-ending search to put a racial spin or a gender spin on each and every story they choose to tell, I was perusing through the old interwebs today and found the following. Black California surgeon walks the walk on virus vaccine. The Associated Press reported out of Sacramento, California, Dr. David Tom Cook said his choice to participate in a clinical trial for a coronavirus vaccine is like his grandmother's decision to leave the Jim Crow South to work in California's naval shipyards during World War II. She was determined to contribute even though the country didn't recognize her as worthy of full rights." Unquote. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to read any further just yet. First of all, a black person, whether he's a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief, a naval shipyard worker, a cook, a garbage man, is getting the vaccine. whoop de freaking do Are we going to now publish stories about each and every black American who decides to be brave and get the Wuhan China coronavirus vaccine? First of all, why in the hell is this a story? And secondly, if it's a story that a black man is a doctor and he got the vaccine, why do we have to bring up the Jim Crow South? Why do we have to bring up his grandmother and how she just had to feel like she had overcome? Today is Dr. Cook's sense of duty and experience, he says, as a black man that led him to test out Pfizer's vaccine and make it his mission to allay concerns about its safety among black friends, black family, and black community members. He said he's also driven by an understanding of skepticism towards the medical profession among many black Americans rooted in the history of poor health outcomes and abusive research. Give me a break. He says, quote, when you look at the scourge of the COVID-19 pandemic, communities of color are disproportionately affected in regards to health. Therefore, it's imperative that we enroll people of color into these clinical trials enough to show that they are effective in these really at-risk communities. Of course, they have to put why he's so qualified to make such a statement. Cook, apparently, is the head of general thoracic surgery at UC Davis Health, the Sacramento, California area's major trauma center. You know, where all the black-on-black -black crime victims go, where all those shooting victims go to get served. Dr. Cook is 48 and was concerned when he saw a lack of diversity among participants in Moderna's clinical trial. So when UC Davis had the opportunity to connect people with a trial by Pfizer, Dr. Cook jumped up in the front of the line and volunteered. He said he got the first shot in August and recently learned that he had been given the actual vaccine and not a placebo. He said, I felt that in order to increase enrollment in these clinical trials and make a difference in this global pandemic, I needed to walk the walk. For him, the understanding of distrust in the black community is personal. 
Even some of his own family didn't plan to take the vaccine until they learned he had tried it. Da, 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 super black man! His parents, former principals in the Oakland public school system, still feel they need to tell any new doctor or nurse they see that their son is a Harvard-trained surgeon. That's because they fear they won't actually get quality care otherwise, he said. Is that warranted? Who knows? It's hard to say, but is it understandable? Of course it is, Cook said. The distrust comes from black people being allegedly mistreated in the medical system for decades. And in their continuing pandering to the black population, they have to make a reference to the distrust comes from black people being mistreated in the medical system for decades, among the most famous, the Tuskegee experiment, where black men weren't told they had syphilis or treated for it so doctors could study the disease's progression, and the story of Henrietta Lacks, whose cells were used in pioneering medical research without her consent or compensation to her family. And since a story can't just include black people anymore, this AP story goes on to say, distrust over unethical practices of the past is also prevalent in the Native American communities, you know, Indians, feathers, not dots, with very few Native Americans signing up to participate in the clinical trials. And they claim that this is also tied to the quick nature of the studies, which typically mean they may need several layers of approval from the tribal members before anyone can participate. Black, Hispanic, and Native Americans have been hit harder by the virus than their white counterparts in America. The Pew Research Center study shows 71% of black Americans surveyed say they know someone who has been hospitalized or died from the virus, compared with 61% for Hispanics and under 50% for the white privileged people and the Asian privileged peoples of America. I'm telling you folks, there is a concerted effort to pander, to push. And I've said this years and years ago, and I'll say it again. And perhaps it's because I live near a metropolitan area, which is predominantly Democrat, hyphenated American, 13% minorities. I think when they tell you that this country is 13% black, it's more like 31% black. At least where I am accustomed to going. Places like the city of New Orleans claim to be 65% black. But driving down any street on any given day in any part of town, it's more like 85% black. I think they're holding out on the real numbers for some reason. As whites become the minority, which is what Joe Biden said, white people in America will be the minority. He said it. I'll try and dig that up. But there's an actual quote of him talking about it, warning about it. I honestly think that white Americans right now are in the minority. But the very fact that the media has to put out a story about a black man who happens to be a doctor who jumped into line to become a volunteer is a slap in the face of every other participant in the program. Tens of thousands of people in America volunteered 
to be recipients of either the placebo or the actual vaccine during the trials. Why does this clown get to be front page news? The answer is political pandering to the 13% AA hyphenated American minority. There can be no other explanation. That's the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. When you think of the Central Intelligence Agency as a whole over the entirety of your life, what do you normally picture when you close your eyes? The CIA agent, generally between 28 and 40 year old, white male in a suit, nice shoes, nice watch, driving a nondescript four-door sedan, maybe wearing sunglasses. That's what you normally picture. Well, the Biden CIA wants things to look a whole lot different. According to the Associated Depressed, once again, Washington, D.C. wanted spies from all backgrounds and walks of life. Striving to diversify its ranks, the CIA launched a new website on Monday to find top-tier candidates who will bring a broader range of life experiences to the nation's premier intelligence agency. The days of all American spies being white male graduates from Ivy League schools are now long gone, relegated to the history books. The new CIA director is a woman, and women head all five of the agency's branches, including the directorates of science and technology, operations, and digital innovation. Now, I'm not saying that these women are not qualified. They probably have the qualifications necessary on paper to do the job. But in a gropey Joe Biden administration, they have one qualification that I, your host, couldn't possibly have. A vagina. Well, I guess I could have one, but I'm fine with the plumbing I already have. Thank you very much. The article continues, while the CIA has been diversifying for years, intelligence agencies still lag the federal workforce in minority representation. With thousands of job applicants annually, the CIA wants to do more to ensure its workforce reflects national demographics. I'm going to stop for a moment. I'm going to once again refresh your memory, my audience. I want to once again refresh your memory as to what the demographics actually are. In the United States of America, according to the census, 65% are indeed Caucasian, non-Hispanic, white people. Half of that number are female, the other half are male, because there are only two genders. Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. Remember the movie Kindergarten Cop? So, the agency should be 65% white, with half of those whites being men, the other half of those whites being women. If 13% is truly the AA hyphenated American black community, then 13% of the CIA should be black, with approximately half being male and the other half being female demographically speaking. 
Then there should also be about 14 to 16 percent Hispanic in the CIA. That is, people of Hispanic origin. They have to either be from Mexico or Guatemala or Honduras or Spain or one of those other Hispanic countries. And half male, half female, again. 5% of the agency should be Asian, half male, half female. 1% should be Native American, half male, half female. And when you take the entire workforce of the CIA, 3.21% need to be homosexual. That would be a true demographic representation. And if that's what they want, I have no problem with that. Other than the fact that you're now going to pander to certain groups in order to bolster your numbers. And you will go way, way overboard in the process. CIA Director Gina Haspel, who joined the agency back in 1985, said in a statement that she hopes the new website piques the interest of talented Americans and gives them a sense of dynamic environment that will await them at the CIA. She said, We've come a long way since I applied and simply mailing a letter marked CIA Washington, D.C. What? We've come a long way since I applied by simply mailing a letter marked CIA Washington, D.C. Okay, that's what's heading the agency, folks. She's made recruitment a priority since she became the first female director in May of 2018, and since then the CIA has started advertising on streaming services. They've launched an Instagram account and an online onion site, a feature that makes both the information provider and the person accessing the information more difficult to trace. Last year, the CIA designated its first executive for Hispanic engagement, Aika Rodriguez Diaz, a veteran of more than three decades with the agency. She first joined after attending a CIA job fair in New Jersey. Her qualifications? Number one, Hispanic heritage. Number two, vagina. She said the CIA had never been on her radar. She didn't think she'd fit the profile. After all, she said, all the spies I saw on TV were male Anglo-Saxon Ivy Leaguers, not Latinas from New Jersey. And so she went to her expert life coach, her mommy, for advice. The mother said, no pierdes nada con it, which roughly translates into, what have you got to lose in going? So she went to the job fair and the rest is history. Across the more than a dozen U.S. spy agencies, including the CIA, 61% of intelligence professionals as of 2019 were men, 39% women. This according to an annual demographics report compiled by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. In fiscal 2019, the intelligence community saw an incremental increase in the number of minority professionals, 26.5%. But that's still lower than the 37% of federal workers as a whole and the 37% of the civilian labor force. Let me do some math here for a moment. If 16% of the country is Hispanic and 13% of the country is black, that only equates to about 29%. So let's throw in 5% Asian and 1% Native American. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna carry the one. Well, as far as I see, 37% of the labor force is black. It's in the civilian world. That's over the demographics of the nation. Because if you take 16% Hispanic plus 13% hyphenated double A minority African American crowd, that's 29. 1% Native American, that's 30. 5% Asian, that's 35. 35 plus 65% white would give you your 100% participation, right? Simple math. The largest minority or ethnic group in all the intelligence agencies, including the CIA, was indeed Blafrican American at 12%, which means they're only 1% shy of the demographic goal of equity. Asian was at 4%, Hispanics were at 7%, persons with disabilities represented 11.5% of the workforce at all the U.S. intelligence agencies. People with disabilities only represent about 9% of the population. This is truly affirmative action at its worst. Even with all the challenges 2020 posed, it was a standout recruitment year for the CIA. A spokeswoman named Nicole DeHay said, Our incoming class is the third largest in a decade and represents the most diverse talent pool, including persons with disabilities, since 2010. And the pandering continues. If you have something to say and you're not sure where to say it, then I have a place for your opinion to be registered for all the world to hear. If you've ever thought about a podcast, Anchor.fm is the place to start. It's fast, it's easy, and best of all, it's free. Anchor.fm does all the hard work for you, like formatting, background music, editing, and even promotion of your podcast to major platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, and the ever-popular Anchor.fm podcasting platform. Your Anchor.fm podcast can even earn you money if you choose to include commercial advertising in your program. If you have something important to say and you're looking to break into the ever-growing list of influencers in the world of over 800,000 podcasts, do yourself a favor, check out Anchor.fm. That's Anchor.fm. And don't forget to check out The Truth Hurts Program with Steve Z. The big fear amongst Second Amendment proponents, those who own and enjoy firearms is that gropey, mopey, dopey, sleepy, creepy, touchy-feely, little girl molesting Joe Biden will take away your guns and find a way to severely curtail your rights under the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. According to Ammo.com, the website, Joe Biden on gun control, understanding Joe Biden's 2020 platform and the Second Amendment. You don't need an AR-15, it's hard to aim, it's hard to use. In fact, you don't need 30 rounds to protect yourself. Those were Joe Biden's exact words early in the campaign. The one-two punch of the Wuhan China novel coronavirus of 2019 and the civil unrest in the early part of 2020 
led to an unprecedented growth in firearms ownership in America. All told, there were about 2 million firearms sold in the month of March 2020 alone. And between March and July, an additional 3 million weapons were sold. Half of those came in the month of June. Ammo sales and prices have similarly spiked, with record sales occurring throughout the nation. However, gun owners don't need a report to know that there's been a massive surge in demand for ammo. They only need to go down to their local gun store and see that the most common rounds are often in short supply, sold out, or being rationed at the point of sale. And of course, prices have skyrocketed. But it's not just guns and ammunition. There's been a significant increase in the number of Americans obtaining concealed carry weapons permits and carrying a weapon on a daily basis. Forbes magazine estimates that 20 million Americans are now carrying as part of their everyday life. Newsflash, Forbes. It's much, much higher. The flip side is that Joe Biden's 2020 campaign has been perhaps the most radically anti-gun and anti-Second Amendment campaign in the history of our nation. The former vice resident under Barack Hussein Obama is very proud of his role in spiriting the 1994 gun ban into passage. If he does take office in January, we will most likely see an expansion of the power of the federal government and more and more powerful attacks on the rights of Americans that will not be restricted to the ownership of firearms. As president, Biden will likely resume the Obama-era attacks on the suburbs ended by President Trump he will most likely give citizenship and voting rights to the nearly 35 million illegal aliens, and he'll use the Federal Reserve to address a racial wealth gap. Biden's desire to erode the Second Amendment does deserve special attention. It's a radical agenda that will put gun rights, the right to keep and bear arms in this country, in jeopardy. Now, it may sound like a bunch of hyperbole and bluster and bloviating, but let's talk about Joe Biden's record, what he says versus what he's actually done. There are two ways to determine how a potential President Joe Biden would govern with regard to the, your Second Amendment rights, what he says and what he has done in the past. As Joe Biden has been out of government since 2017, let's start out with his history as a legislator and as the Vice Resident of the United States. Joe Biden has a very long record of being anti-Second Amendment. He voted for the 1986 Firearms Owners Protection Act, which was a misnomer. It really didn't protect very much at all as far as firearms owners were concerned. It was primarily a series of gimmies to gun grabbers in exchange for getting the ATF to leave law-abiding gun owners alone. If you've ever wanted to own an M16, but you can't afford one because of the high price of the related tax stamp, you can thank gropey Joe Biden for that. Biden was also instrumental in the passage of the Brady Bill. And that law, until the creation of the NICS background check system, provided for a five-day waiting period to purchase any firearm. Joe Biden brags about his role in passing the bill into law on his own campaign website, saying, quote, in 1994, Biden, along with Senator Dianne Feinstein, secured the passage of 10-year bans on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. 
as President Joe Biden will defeat the NRA again, unquote. It's on his website. He will defeat the NRA again. Far more concerning, of course, is that as a senator, Joe Biden literally wrote the bill that banned so-called assault weapons in the United States for 20 years. Now, we all know there's no such thing as an assault weapon, an assault rifle. Assault weapons ban defined those things, assault weapons, in a very broad sense, with a very broad brush and a very broad stroke. Under the law, the definitions of an assault weapon were as follows. Rifles, flash suppressors or barrels threaded for them, pistol grips, folding and telescoping stocks, bayonet mounts, or grenade launchers. Pistols, semi-automatic versus any automatic firearm, unloaded weight of over 50 ounces, threaded barrels designed to accommodate flash suppressors, barrel extenders, hand grips, or barrel shrouds. Shotguns, if they have a pistol grip or a detachable magazine or a folding or telescoping stock, Biden considers them assault weapons. The law likewise targeted a number of specific firearms that are wildly popular with American gun owners, including the AR-15 in all its forms, the Tech 9 the Mac-10, Mac-11, the Uzi, and anything that resembled the Israeli military industry's Galil. Not only were most of these restrictions unconstitutional, they were pretty much useless. Many gun companies continued manufacturing virtually identical versions of the firearms that had been specifically banned, removing one minor cosmetic feature here or there just to get them into compliance with the stupid law. Numerous studies have proven there is actually no impact on violent crime throughout the entire United States as a result of that law. This was, as we all know, a misguided attempt to curb urban violent crime. If you're being more cynical, it was merely a power grab. That law, thank God, expired September 13, 2004. And there have been several attempts by Democrats to reintroduce the legislation, all of which have been, thank God, unsuccessful. Finally, let's touch on the role of Joe Biden as a point man for selling the Waco siege to the American public. He stated, quote, There was no improper motive or intent on the part of law enforcement. In the same statement, he singled out the ATF and the FBI for praise, stating they had an excellent overall record. What's more, he was a major proponent of the theory that the Branch Davidians at Waco, Texas, all committed suicide by lighting fire to their own home, which we all know is not what happened. Biden's statements about Waco are particularly important when coupled with his aggressive anti-Second Amendment platform. Joe Biden is a man who firmly believes that the ATF did nothing intentionally wrong at Waco. He has a great deal of trust in federal law enforcement that borders on naivete. It's not outlandish to think that he would use the full militarized might of the ATF against anyone who presents any resistance against any of his proposed federal gun restrictions, registrations, or confiscation programs most certainly to come if he is inaugurated in January. 
When given a choice between the 26 or so candidates that ran on the Democrat platform, as radical as he seems to be, Joe Biden was the most centrist of them all. He was the least radical. But as he had to pander to more and more people as they dropped out in order to get support from those people, like Beto, I'm coming for your AR-15 O'Rourke, Biden has shifted dramatically to the left towards a more socialist, towards a more progressive, liberal, communist platform. On his official 2020 website campaign, it defined gun violence as a public health epidemic. Now, this just may sound like boilerplate language, but in fact, it's language designed for Gropey Joe to lay the groundwork for moving firearms restrictions under the purview of the Food and Drug Administration. This organization has broad leeway to ban, to tax, and to regulate anything they deem a danger to public health. And since people are generally allergic to bullets, as far as I'm understanding, that, if it fell under the FDA, would be all the justification your federal government would need to get rid of your guns. Biden's site also used a commonly used weasel statistic to advocate for such a move. He says 40,000 Americans die from firearms-related injuries every year. This includes every firearms-related death, suicides, accidental discharges, shootouts between gangland figures where no innocent bystander is killed, and self-defense actions. And while any death is certainly tragic, this is simply not what anyone means when they talk about gun violence. He's laying the groundwork to come for your guns, not by attacking the Second Amendment as a constitutional issue, but by calling gun violence and bullet insertion into human tissue a public health emergency, in which he can then use the power of the federal government to ban maybe just the bullets, maybe the guns and the bullets, or maybe just the guns and not the bullets. I tried throwing a bullet at someone, it doesn't have the same effect. There were supposedly 14,542 gun homicides in 2017, less than half of the statistic that Biden was citing in his platform. That doesn't even crack the top 10 causes of death in the United States even if you include the lie about the COVID-19 Wuhan China novel coronavirus. In fact, more Americans died of septicemia in 2017 than gun-related homicides, but I don't see a public health crusade against that. In related campaign promise, Biden says he will hold gun manufacturers accountable for the use of their products. This means the families of shooting victims will be able to file civil suits against gun manufacturers ammunition manufacturers, and possibly even the gun ranges where those using the guns went to practice target shooting. And they'll be able to obtain damages related to the misuse of their products and the crimes. This is an attempt at corporate gun control through the back door, of course. It's like if someone gets killed in a drunk driving accident, you can sue Ford or Volvo or Audi or Chevrolet or Chrysler because evil vehicle was used to kill someone. And of course, 
When facing such liability, gun manufacturers will be inundated with frivolous lawsuits by ambulance chasing esquires that will cause them to either go out of business or discontinue their civilian lines entirely. Biden has previously voted to repeal those protections, which is another point he brags about on his website. In fact, I'll quote it for you here. In 2005, then-Senator Biden voted against protection of lawful commerce in arms act, but gun manufacturers successfully lobbied Congress to secure its passage. This law protects these manufacturers from being held civilly liable for their products, with gun protection granted to no other industry. Biden will prioritize repealing this protection. You think prices and availability are rough now? Now, even if he cannot get a new assault weapons ban to be passed, he does plan to use an executive order to ban the importation of such weapons as he deems assault weapons into the United States. The campaign website boasts that he will accomplish this while working to pass legislation using his executive authority. That's a direct quote. This would end the market for a number of lower-cost imports into the United States. It will restrict the Second Amendment rights of many low-income Americans who cannot afford high-priced domestic options. And he also states that any new gun ban will be informed by the last one, meaning it will be far more sweeping and a ban far greater in the number of weapons that were featured in the 1994 bill that he wrote. Now, what about the AR-15 you've already purchased? Biden plans to use the National Firearms Act to regulate possession of these types of firearms. His language on his own campaign website is very vague, and this is probably intentional. Remember, regulate can mean just about anything. It could allow him to either do something minor and claim a victory, or enact sweeping changes without the hurdle of legislative approval. He learned from the best executive actions of his predecessor, Mr. Barack Hussein Barry Sotero Obama. When it comes to gun buybacks, the language becomes more clear. Those who now own assault weapons, whatever the hell that means, under either newly passed legislation or executive fiat, will either have to sell them back to the government or register them with the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Division under the National Firearms Act. Now, if you think I'm kidding, I'll quote it here. As president, according to the website, as president, Biden will pursue legislation to regulate possession of existing assault weapons under the National Firearms Act, unquote. Registration, of course, will be a prelude to confiscation of those registered firearms. Once they know you got them, makes it easier for them to know who is coming for them. He also will seek to limit the number of firearms a person can purchase in a single month to one and close the so-called gun show loophole. He's also going to use mental health to ban firearm ownership. This should be alarming to all of you, but unfortunately it will get worse. A Joe Biden administration would attempt to prevent Americans from owning firearms on the basis of mental health reasons. While this may sound reasonable, who wants a paranoid schizophrenic with a cache of AR-15s, right? It is, in fact, very troubling. There are millions of Americans seeking treatment for anything from depression to anxiety. Oftentimes, this isn't representative of an underlying medical condition. People are simply having a hard time and reaching out for a little help, especially in this Wuhan coronavirus year. 
That's what they're supposed to do, right? Reach out for help. This will initially only exclude people that have been adjudicated by the Social Security Administration as being unfit to manage their own affairs, but it is extremely likely that this will not be quickly expanded to include anyone who's ever taken a Xanax, a Zoloft, or gone to a counselor to say, I just can't deal with my wife's crap anymore. He also seeks to close the number of loopholes that are in the law that really are not actually loopholes at all, such as the hate crime loophole. This would deprive the right to bear arms to anyone who has received a politically motivated hate crime enhancement to a misdemeanor, potentially making petty crimes like vandalism a pretext for depriving Americans of their Second Amendment rights anytime an overzealous left-wing prosecutor decides to pursue a hate crime enhancement. In other words, if a white person vandalizes a house in a black neighborhood and puts the word don't or doesn't in between the Black Lives Matter slogan on the local grocery store with spray paint, that could be considered a hate crime enhancement and that person would then be forever deprived of owning a firearm. Please note that flags like the Betsy Ross flag and the Gadsden flag have become labeled as white supremacist images in recent years. So don't think you need to be wearing a swastika armband to become prosecutable under a hate crime enhancement. There's also the Charleston loophole. This alleged loophole allows people to purchase a firearm if they have not received authorization to do so under that NICS system after three business days. Biden seeks to extend this ban to 10 business days, effectively making Americans wait up to two weeks before they're allowed to purchase a firearm. And finally, the fugitive from justice loophole. Biden wants to remove the right to keep and bear arms from the half a million Americans who were declared by the Trump administration to not actually be fugitives from justice. Getting your ammunition online? How about your guns online? Not under Gropey Joe. Beyond ammo and guns, he seeks to ban the online purchase of gun kits, such as 85% lowers or even parts for your weapons. His campaign website says, quote, Biden will enact legislation to prohibit all online sale of firearms, ammunition, kits, and gun parts, unquote. So people with exotic or antiquated weapons, hard to find older weapons, will have an extremely difficult time finding the parts they need to keep their weapons operational. So-called ghost guns will also be banned under Joe Biden. And Hair Plugs Biden's platform also includes creating a gun confiscation framework overseen by the ATF and the FBI. This is to remove weapons from the hands of people who are no longer legally allowed to own them, such as felons and those awaiting charges. Sounds good, right? It's important to note that even if this is restricted to removing guns from the hands of felons and those awaiting charges now, it can easily be converted in tandem with the new gun registration apparatus to confiscate guns from law-abiding citizens who registered them. And if you fail to register them, you're no longer a law-abiding citizen. Therefore, they can come and take them from you by force. In fact, 
Joe Biden's website during the campaign actually says, quote, as president, Biden will direct the FBI and ATF to outline a model relinquishment process, enact necessary legislation to ensure relinquishment when individuals newly fall under one of the federal prohibitions, and then provide technical and financial assistance to state and local governments to establish effective relinquishment processes of their own, unquote. Biden does not seek a federal red flag law, but he does seek to incentivize the adoption of these laws by giving states funds to implement them. He would also seek to incentivize licensure requirements for Americans to own firearms. And of course, since they're already in bed with big tech, a Biden administration would spend government time and resources digging up threats on the taxpayer's dime. He would create a task force on online harassment and abuse to identify the connections between mass shootings, online harassment, extremism, and violence against women. This amounts to little more than a politically motivated creation of a witch hunt committee to partner with big tech to snoop on Americans with the aim of depriving them of not only their Second Amendment rights, but First Amendment rights as well. In other words, if you ever said anything crude, rude, or abusive about a woman or a protected class of people, or a neighbor or a co-worker, you might have just laid the groundwork for them to come and get your weapons. The Biden platform would also move to require all gun manufacturers to eventually manufacture only so-called smart guns. He would then pass a law that will require all gun owners to keep their firearms in a locked gun safe, dramatically increasing the cost of firearms ownership. The Biden Department of Justice will prioritize prosecution of straw purchasers, a stark departure of Obama-era policy where the DOJ worked closely with them, eventually allowing narco-terrorists and Islamic terrorists to access heavy firepower. Local and state law enforcement would be informed whenever someone fails a background check. State Department will take measures to block code from the Internet that might be used to print 3D guns in your own home. He's also seeking a far more robust ATF than already exists. Your tax dollars harder and harder at work, right? And Biden's plans will also prohibit state and local governments from training teachers in how to defend their students and themselves with firearms. Yep, they're going to make damn sure that teachers do not have access to training. And Camel Toe Harris? She's the most anti-Second Amendment vice presidential nominee Ever. Biden's selection of Camel Toe Harris as vice president has created what the NRA has called the most anti-gun ticket in history. Like most gun grabbers, Harris claims that she's not opposed to individual ownership of firearms. However, her record tells a starkly different story. She wrote an amicus brief in the District of Columbia versus Heller where she stated that the ban on private ownership of handguns did not violate the Second Amendment. What? What's more, she's enjoyed endorsements from Gabby Giffords and the Brady campaign. She's in favor of banning a number of commonly used firearms and peripherals, including magazines limited to 10 or less only. While running for president herself, she promised to use executive orders to confiscate guns from law-abiding Americans if Congress would not pass her extremist anti-Second Amendment agenda. 
remember? Probably not because she was the last place finisher and nobody was listening to her crap back then anyway. The scary part is she may end up becoming your president. And of course, that is a high possibility given Joe Biden's age and mental capacity. It is not unthinkable that we will have a camel toe Harris as the first female somewhat black president in the country. Perhaps most disturbing about her actual record on gun violence is her support for so-called red flag laws and a massive expansion of the definition of potential domestic terrorist to further stripping law-abiding citizens of their rights to keep and bear arms. During her presidential campaign, she advocated for an existing $2 billion in spending for domestic snooping under the guise of preventing domestic terrorism. Now, in a normal election year, you could easily ignore Harris. However, this is not a normal election year. Biden, mopey, dopey, sleepy, creepy, senile Joe Biden is already 79 years old and he's showing signs of severe mental and physical deterioration. The chance that he's going to live to see the full four years of his term is far from a foregone conclusion. Nor is a scenario where the 25th Amendment might be used to remove him replacing him with Camel Toe Harris and Nasty Nancy Pelosi right behind. This is a very dangerous woman on a very dangerous trajectory that represents a serious threat to many of the rights under the Constitution that we Americans have enjoyed for 240 years. The Second Amendment being one, the First Amendment being another. Look, the bottom line to all of this is that a gropey Joe camel toe administration will certainly work to erode Americans' Second Amendment protections, and they will not apologize for it. It's just one component of a radical agenda that has taken over the Biden campaign because he owes so many favors to so many people who put him where he is. Whether or not gropey Joe actually believes any of this, whether or not he simply has had the campaign hijacked by the radical forces is beside the point. The point being that the Biden administration will actively pursue police state measures against law-abiding gun owners in the United States. Mark my words, folks. It's far from over. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. If you have something to say and you're not sure where to say it, then I have a place for your opinion to be registered for all the world to hear. If you've ever thought about a podcast, Anchor.fm is the place to start. It's fast, it's easy, and best of all, it's free. Anchor.fm does all the hard work for you, like formatting, background music, editing, and even promotion of your podcast to major platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, and the ever-popular Anchor.fm podcasting platform. Your Anchor.fm podcast can even earn you money if you choose to include commercial advertising in your program. If you have something important to say and you're looking to break into the ever-growing list of influencers in the world of over 800,000 podcasts, do yourself a favor, check out Anchor.fm. That's Anchor.fm. And don't forget to check out The Truth Hurts Program with Steve Z.
That's going to wrap up this afternoon edition of the Truth Hurts program for your January 4th, 2020. Look forward to seeing you next time. Go out there and make it a great day. Just in time for the holidays, it's the new gropey Joe Biden action figure. Okay, it's a doll, but it's creepy as hell. The new gropey Joe Biden doll, er, action figure, comes with working hands to grope Barbie, the American Girl doll, or even your actual eight-year-old daughter. Working hands twist and rub and tweak and fondle, just like the real Joe Biden. And as an added bonus, the new gropey Joe Biden doll, er, action figure, has a new feature. Press on his crotch just a little and... That's right! Put the gropey Joe Biden doll, er, action figure's nose against any little girl's hair or any uncomfortable woman's neck, squeeze the crotch and the doll, er, action figure, will actually inhale through its hairy nostrils, just like the real gropey Joe. But wait, there's more! Pull up the pants legs and you'll see the blot, 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 blonde hair on its legs, just like the real gropey Joe. And in water, the new gropey Joe Biden doll, er, action figure's hair, does just what gropey Joe said it will do. The hair on its legs will smooth out and then stand up underwater. Little black kids will spend hours rubbing the hair on the gropey Joe Biden doll, er, action figure's white legs, just like they did in the pool. If you order today, you'll get the gropey Joe Biden doll, er, action figure, complete with a toy version of the vintage Corvette convertible remote-controlled car, so you can watch it go down the sidewalk. It comes with loud speakers that shout out gropey Joe's most popular gaffes. Order yours today. Send $439.99 to Gropey Doll and Car Set, care of your local Democrat National Committee campaign headquarters at www.gropeyjoedoll.dnc. Must be out of your mind to order. Allow four to six years or an impeachment for delivery. Not available in stores. It's the Gropey Joe Biden Doll! Just what every little girl dreads. You have been listening to the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Copyright 2020, Steve Knight Productions, all rights reserved. This program is protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. We'll see you next time.